Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. I mean, I mean, you know what kind of idiot walks down a country road <laughs> in the Why dark? Are you still at the bus stop and not on a bus. I, I didn't have any money. Uh, what's your name? Simone. Raider. Being with you has been the best time of my life. Listen, do I know you from somewhere? I heard she's a Satanist. Even murdered her family. Some guy came today looking for you. What did you do? She's a very special girl. But then I think you always knew that. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Pekovich, and this is episode number 357. Out now on digital in the US, Canada, UK, and Ireland is The Green Sea, a psychological drama that stars Catherine Isabel as an American writer living in rural Ireland whose isolated, self-destructive existence is disrupted by the arrival of a strange young girl a haunting, dark, and well-performed drama that threads the line between reality and madness. The Green Sea also marks the feature film directorial debut of Randall Plunkett, who joins me now on the podcast. Randall, I thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. So you've been working as a filmmaker of short films for a while now, and as I mentioned in my intro, this is your feature film um, debut. You have your own production company as well, um, Dunsani Productions. Um, that you've, so I think since 2010, you've been making your film through through that banner. Green Sea, what was this yeah. about this story of Green Sea that was the right story to turn into your f- first feature? Well, to be fair, um, I'll tell you a little bit about what I do. So, you know, I've been doing, you know, as, as you said, short films for a while. Um, I unfortunately suffered from that situation that nobody believed in it anything I ever did. Like, you know, don't get me wrong. There were some festivals, uh, appreciations. There were a few small awards and stuff, but the people who finance films as in the film bodies and things like that, never really backed me and still have never backed me for anything mm-hmm. I've ever done. And a lot of this stuff, as I know it's in Europe where you are as well, it's very political. Yes. And so far I am the wrong shade of color um, for multiple reasons, but without going into those, um, I tried, I did a successful short a couple of years ago in, back in 2013 called Out There. Yes. And I did really, really well with that film. And it wasn't that a, the film was so terrific or anything, but it just did well. It, it nailed the horror trend that was sort of going on in 2012, 2013. And it nailed it right at the right moment. And it, it took off. And I got a lot of hype from that. And it looked like I was set for being able to get a first feature 
financed and people wanted to have meetings and they wanted to do all the, that good stuff. So I came up with a script that I was really in love with. I, it was a really strong uh, sort of survival for a movie um, with lots of elements of good drama. And, and, you know, it was uh, it had a sort of an art house kind of uh, flavor to it as well. So it wasn't just your typical sort of zombie esque type. Oh, we've seen it all before walking dead thing. There was a lot more levels to it. Hmm. Um, but that movie never got made. And I kept trying for years, trying to push it. And I got some money and then I couldn't get the rest. And then, you know, and I struggled and I had to keep rewriting it just to make it suit the budgets. And then one money wasn't contingent against the other. And then years went by and I never could repeat any success. So years passed and I hadn't done anything. And um, I was, meanwhile, getting a little bit sad with myself, trying to, to finish something. So I started writing other bits and couldn't get anything off the ground. And the Green Sea, I decided to go personal. I decided to, to kind of, a lot of the problems that happen in the Green Sea is, I mean, because Simone in the, in the film, played by Catherine Isabel, is a writer who's had a successful first book. Yeah. And then she goes, she can't seem to get the second one off the ground. And that's exactly what I was dealing with. So a lot of the stuff that I put into the film, I decided just to go straight up and, and uh, reflect on the last few years of my life. Um, and how, like, you know, the, the imagination of the character is what gives her a sort of solace that and nature, which was about the same time I started my, um, my environmental work. Yes. So, so there was all those aspects. So it, be, it became a very personal film. So the film more or less, just like in the movie wrote itself. I, I imagine just hearing that the film is not as much biographical, but kind of like almost therapeutic for you. Very much so because you know, that this is the sort of one of the meanings behind the film, because you know, we, um, like, I was always a, a boy who had, you know, I, I lived in the country. I didn't know how to drive for the longest time. And my yeah. imagination was what gave me a lot of enjoyment, you know. And when things were really difficult in my life, being able to write things or create things gave me a lot of, they gave me a lot of, they got me pumped. Let's just say that. And, and you know, and, and don't get me wrong. It's not that, that I was creating poetry here, but it was, it was, I found a lot of happiness in creating and a lot of, I got over a lot of, you know, bad relationships and, 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 and difficulties in my life and disappointments through creating, through the creating medium. And, and that's very, I mean, I know a lot of indie filmmakers, particularly that's what they get out of filmmaking. They, they have to express themselves. And one of the saddest things for anyone is to not be able to express themselves. And obviously people express themselves in different ways, but mm. for an artist or for anyone who creates creating stories is one of the most purest ways of, of, of that. Let's talk about um, Catherine Isabel, who plays the character of Simone, who, we, who we've talked about. The character of Simone, it's not an easy character to like, and you really, it's really interesting. You have to get an actor to really hit that balance between the madness and the redemption that the character kind of goes through. And I think that Catherine did just a fantastic job with this role. Um, she's been one of my favorite um, actors for a long time. I remember, you know, Ginger Snaps in American Mary and Insomnia and all the other work she's done as well. How did it come about, number one, that the character would be someone from the US? Um, was that part and parcel that came with Catherine being cast in, in the role? And how did you meet Catherine and get her involved in the movie? So, so I'll tell you, I knew Catherine already. Um, and the thing is, Katie is one of those... Um, like I've always been a big fan of hers, right? I think since when I was at, when I was in high school, 
I had, uh, I was, you know, a bit alternative. Well, still a bit alternative, but you know, I was into to heavy metal and stuff like that. So I used to have my locker had like posters, you know, I had like Phil Anselmo from Pantera. I mm-hmm. had uh, a bunch of guys from Cannibal Corpse and Obituary on my locker, but I also had what at the time would have been my perfect, perfect woman. And that was Katie in, in Ginger Snaps and a nice kind of uh, magazine ripoff on my locker because she was like the perfect woman back then. And so I've always had, a, since I saw her in Ginger Snaps, I always followed her career with a lot of interest. And I was always really surprised she didn't become like uh, a big mainstream actress because she had she had the pizzazz, if you like. Yeah. You know, she looked good. You know, she was very attractive, but she also could hold the screen and and. You know, the acting is one thing, but but people who can carry a film, it's another, it's a completely different talent. Yeah. And um, so when I started preparing my original script that I didn't get off the ground, we were looking to cast and we wanted to put people that we were recognizable, but also that were, whose work was important to, to us. So her at work, I decided, you know what, she's a great actress. I think she'd be great in the film. I'd love to work with her. So we reached out and, you know, we had a few chats and we had some things in common and she came to visit me here up in the castle and, um, and, you know, we became friends like, and so the film was struggling to get off the ground and I just was eating breakfast with her one day and I said, well, what, you know, what would you like to do? And she's like, oh, I'd love to do period drama. And I said, well, probably not going to do any period drama. Mm-hmm. Would you like to do an unlikable character in which you're an alcoholic who, beats people up and and is basically an absolute horrible person. And she said, yeah, where do I sign? And that's pretty much how the movie started. Um, Because the thing is, is like for an actress, you know, I think the ultimate female performance was probably, um, what's her name? The one who did Monster. Charlize Theron. Charlize Theron. I I think a lot of female actors, I would say most female actors at some point in their career want to do something where, they're really recognized of being daring. And, you know, there's a lot of male roles that have, have gone down there. For females, I would say there's a bit less. And I would say Charlie Theron in Monster really took the cake for creating something that was so daring at the time. Uh, and I very much wanted something like that because the, the if you look at any of my films, I tend to focus on people who perhaps aren't always perfect people. I tend mm-hmm. to like... I tend to sort of befriend the people who are weak or the people who have a lot of issues and who are perhaps not going to be likable to everyone. And that's very much what I did with my previous short. I mean, I wrote a movie about a coward and a guy who's a, you know, a coward and, 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 and at the same time leaves his, his family to get, to get screwed over. I mean, that's, that's, it's not the nicest thing, but it's honest, you know, and it's the same with Katie. Like Katie plays this character who is extremely flawed. Um, and is unlikable, but at the same time is still human. Yeah. And I think some of the best writing I've ever seen was for a program called Oz. I don't know if you if you had that in Australia. Yes, HBO. Um, it was yes. a prison drama. Yeah. And everybody in it is an absolute bastard. Yeah. But at the same time, every single person without fail has a human element to them. And that for me was always something that really inspired me because they managed to make these most terrible people have humanity in them. And that's for me what I'm very interested in the darker side of humanity. And, and this is what I kind of posed to, to Katie and Katie being the machine she is took it and took it to another level. The other part of the Simone character that I haven't talked about yet is that 
she is a writer, yes, but before that she is a musician, black metal musician to be specific. You've spoken just now about, you know, when you were growing up, you were a heavy metal fan. I am also a heavy metal fan. The same posters are on your wall. Was it the same on mine? Uh, feeling so mobile. I was more and more on the, I was more on a thrash metal side, so your Megadeths and your Anthraxes, et cetera. Um, black metal is a very interesting genre of music, or just on its own. Were you a fan of that genre of music as well? Is that how that kind of crept into the screenplay? Well, I got to be honest with you. I am a huge huge metal fan like i have and i'm still a cd vinyl buying guy today yes i have been listening to heavy metal since i was old enough to even have a tape which i was about seven because i stole them from my brother i have never stopped listening to heavy metal and so i love black metal i love thrash and i love it all the stuff today and the stuff from the past so i'm a huge record collector in fact i got into vinyl through this film because i my family never had vinyl so I did a lot of, I, I tend to write things. I tend to research things and then get into them. It's kind of like method writing, if you like, rather mm. than method acting. Um, but to get back to your original question, um, yes, because the thing is with the black metal aesthetic, which was quite interesting, is um, it's it's very theatrical, which yes. I thought would be interesting. But also if you come to a, a small town in Ireland, it's about the most extreme um, version of heavy metal you can have that has all the wrong connotations you know there's a lot of bad lore attached to black metal and because it's so in your face um to any normal person in a small town in ireland that would be an absolute you you would be automatically labeled as some sort of satanic person and i wanted to play with that kind of uh concept a little bit and there in the film there was a lot more emphasis on that in the original cut of the movie unfortunately due to the length and uh, other 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 production issues, we had to sort of push that into the background a little bit. But the idea behind her being a, a former musician and a um, and a writer is because you know the, so many people I've known in my life have started with something and have created like music, for example, and then go off to do something else because they can't make it work. Mm. And even though these are talents, I mean, one of them was uh, a guy called Scott Connor of a uh, black metal band called Zather. Well, he was a solo artist. And originally, he was to do the soundtrack for the film. Um, so I don't know if you know him, who he is. I do not know. No. There's a there's a great documentary on YouTube called One Man Metal. If you ever want to go down that rabbit hole, go there. But he's this. He he created a depressive black metal. He was one of those pioneers who did that stuff. But very interesting guy. And there was a lot of things that he said in those interviews that resonated very much with me. So I wanted him originally to do the music because I took a lot of inspiration from his life and from the kind of character he was. And I infused it into Simone. And I kind of like this idea of someone who can't find their solace in what they, what they do anymore. So they have to turn to something else. And there's even one line in the movie where like music doesn't really give you what you put into it. And that's so true to, of the arts in general, but particularly music. I mean, I know so many musicians who, you know, and to be a musician, to go to that level of intensity creatively. And, uh, and then at the same time, not to get, to be able to eat, not be able to pay your rent. I mean, it, it's a, you know, it's very detrimental to the psyche. And that's why I think so many people sort of go off the rails, you know, and that's something I wanted to have in Simone because I gave her another level of complexity where, you know, she was a former musician, which almost in the film, almost as like she was sort of talking about it as a, when she was young and then sort of she's matured into a novelist, which I suppose academically speaking is perhaps sort of a bit of creative snobbery, if you like. Mm. 
I remember um, in the movie as well, she mentioned that her first book made more money than all the music she made combined as well. So she's a fine, there's a financial aspect to it as well. Yeah, yeah, which is ironic because nobody nobody buys books either. <laughs> <laughs> Just pays for music, nobody buys books. But but yeah, I mean that's the thing. Um, you you always it's 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 also an area of my again I I kind of balance that back to myself. I'm a filmmaker, but I've been more successful probably as a um, as an environmentalist than I have mm. ever been as a filmmaker. You know what I mean? People when people want to interview me, a lot of the time it's like, well, we like your film, but we'd love to talk about your rewilding project. And, uh, and that's the thing. So, you know, it's the same, it's the kind of same thing that I get. So I guess I just put it into the film because I find the more you put into yourself, into, into films, the more authentic things tend to seem. Mm -hmm. And even if they don't hundred percent make sense, because again, there's the film, when you, I make a film, I don't make a film for the audience. I make a film for me and I try and mirror things that I find in my own life and hoping that people will identify because we're not all that we're all not all very different, you know. If we if we boil it all down, yes. people tend to suffer from the same uh, neuroses, and uh, and I think a lot of people can identify with those things. And it's always interesting to me, and I'm always petrified whenever anything I make comes out because I'm always worried that I've gone too far. Nobody's going to understand it because I'm just a weirdo, and they're all going to hate it, and they're all going to hate me. And you know, like Louis Bunuel did on, when he uh, when Lage Door came out. I stand at the back of the room with a bag of stones to throw at people in case they try and rush me. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by 80s Tees. 80s Tees is an online retailer of licensed t-shirts and pop culture gear from your favorite movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, comic books, and musicians. Celebrate your inner 80s nerd and click on the link in the show notes below to get the raddest retro t-shirts delivered to your door. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Loot Crate. Founded in 2012, Loot Crate is the worldwide leader in fan subscription boxes. Loot Crate partners with industry leaders in entertainment, gaming, sports, and pop culture to deliver monthly themed crates, produce interactive experiences in digital content, and film original video productions. No matter what you geek out about, Loot Crate has a subscription box for you. To get your very own exclusive collectibles, apparel, and gear delivered to your door, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is also brought to you by Voodoo. Watch the latest movies and TV shows anytime, anywhere. No subscriptions, no contract. Enjoy stunning quality in up to 4K ultra high definition at home and download and watch on your mobile device as well. To rent and buy from over 100,000 titles or watch thousands of movies free with Voodoo Movies on us, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. Now, back to the show. The other interesting thing about black metal is that, you know, you talked before about perceptions of, of that genre of music. You know, if, if you dig deeper into that kind of thing, people see Satan, but a lot of it has to do with nature. Um, and I think it has to do a lot with where the, the, that music was created in those kind of Nordic countries, the environment, and also the the history of the country has so much to, to do with the creation of that stuff. And it, it, with your film, with, with um, Green Sea, it blends really well with the whole aspect of nature in regards to these characters. Um, you know, there's, the photography of this film is just really beautiful. 
Um, it's got those really kind of dark greys and greens. And from what I understand, you guys were filming in the coldest winter in years in Ireland. I mean, let me ask first off, filming in the coldest winter in Ireland for a long time, is that a blessing or a curse? Because, you get, because you're getting great imagery, but I imagine filming during that must have been quite a hassle. Well, it actually was a bit of a curse for us because I'll tell you why. Originally, we were supposed to shoot because of scheduling issues. We, we were supposed to shoot earlier in the year, which would have caught the end of autumn, which we would have had a nice transition of colors. But we were pushed in sandwich right next to Christmas. And we were struggling against, at the time, they were filming Game of Thrones here. So a lot of crews were missing. Then they had, um, what's that Kung Fu one that they had? Into the Badlands. Right. And then they had Vikings and all these other movies all at the same time. So all the talent was robbed uh, in the country. So we were really struggling trying to find crew to work on the film. But the, the winter was so bad because sometimes Ireland is not a country that gets a lot of snow. Hmm. And we were shooting one day and then the whole place started blizzarding. And, you know, you can't shoot in one scene where there's sunshine and the next scene where there's snow on the ground. Like, you know, you have a continuity nightmare. So we were having a lot of trouble with that sort of thing. And we, a lot of our, our shots were, were in different areas. So a lot of them were like in backward places that had tiny little roads. So it was actually kind of dangerous to be driving, you know, trucks and stuff down country roads that have no, they're not salted or anything. So, you know, created a huge amount of issues for for us and we actually ended up having to cut a lot of things out of the film based on that alone in fact i think at the end the final tally of the film is we we uh we didn't shoot about 35 percent of the film sorry 30 percent of the film which is mental because i mean we managed the good thing we were very resourceful with what we did shoot and what we we planned to shoot but there were huge subsections of the film that had to be and one of the aspects like i said was her former past that we had a bit more emphasis on in the original uh a script um but I, mean, I think we 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 felt we had to be very careful otherwise the film would never get finished i just want to do that a shout- be three hours long yes yeah. <laughs> well i just want to do a shout out to your um, cinematographer philip morozov because he did a really great work here i mean the film looks terrific another interesting thing that that you did in the film is regards to how you shot your characters as opposed to how you shot kind of like the outside kind of nature setting so while you're inside the house very kind of claustrophobic you have your camera very close up to your camera your your actors faces but when you're outside in nature in, in the grounds whether it be the forest or the beaches or what have you you'd like to have kind of like those white socks and kind of get it all in um the process of doing that especially in regards to getting really close to the characters faces and shooting with that is that something that you uh, a style of film that you like to do especially in regards to a drama and, and i imagine having a an actor like Catherine Isabel, um, who's so, like I said, so terrific in the role, you want to get up and close and see everything that's got, happening um, in her face in regards to the uh, evolution of her character. Yeah, I think the, the thing is the cinemagraphic style, and, and don't get me wrong, it was very difficult because we tried to create, we, we were really pushing the envelope a little bit because some of the hand movements of the camera were a little bit jarring, and we were kind of going for that to kind of replicate herself and how the life was. Now, it was a little bit on the nose, perhaps, but what we did try and create with the house, and it's interesting because, again, there's a, the metaphor of the turtle very much feeds into this because, again, I'm a guy who inherited a very old house, and my whole life is about keeping my place going and keeping the roof going. So the, the concept of the turtle, is it, it was a metaphor to the turtle, and that's why the theme of the turtle is constantly repeated throughout the movie. Mm. But that house, for example, I mean, we designed that house in a very abstract, that house was completely empty. We, we painted all the walls. 
we even painted the house black, <laughs> which was which was pretty nuts because I mean, uh, like I said, like I said, we were a small film, so to do that level of detail is is usually not typically done. Um, and we want to create like I don't know if you noticed that there was a lot of antlers and things like that all over the walls. Yes, to create almost like a thorn bush kind of effect. So whenever we shot her, we sort of felt she was always crowded in this clutter and there was almost like being stuck in a thorn bush. And then as as you said, everything was very close. Part of that is because so much of the movie has to do with her own self and her identity. And so much of her emotional state is told in the eyes rather than in how she speaks. So, you know, and, and she's absolutely stunning looking. So, so whenever she was able to like turn her eyes to the light, it said a lot about how she was feeling. And it's the same with Hazel because Hazel, when we cast the film, I I knew what I wanted to do uh, with Katie because Katie was, I mean, she has that power. She has those very stunning eyes. I needed to find an actress who could do the same thing because both characters are very much a mirror of each other. You know, they do the same thing. Their acting style is very similar, although obviously they're not the same character. Um, but the idea was I wanted to... To focus on faces particularly, I I very much in um, find that that your typical TV shooting, which is you know your close up and your middle shot, tend to be very dull, um, and especially in small um, locations on on small films, they can really go against you. They can pull you out of the movie a bit. But mm-hmm. creating this sort of uh, claustrophobic feel where we're always like right up and up into the actors' faces gave us a little bit of um, visual interest, and we worked with what we had, which was. Katie being this wonderfully good-looking, wonderfully passionate, uh, intense eyes that gave us so much throughout the film, and and, it, and throughout the film, she, those emotions are changing, and you can see it in her face. And it's the same with with Hazel as well. And that's so much of that is is focused on that. I'm I'm a big lover of details. Um, that's why we went so to town on the on the production design. Um, in fact, we we spent weeks on months on the production design, and design, including the sound as well, where. You know, there was a whole amount of sketches and and measurements taken. I mean, there was a, a there was a lot of um, detail put in because a, a lot of the story and a lot of her narrative is actually on the walls. Now, if you watch it again, you'll see that there's paintings of seas and there's all kinds of little objects that all reflect certain points of the story. Mm. And again, I love that kind of stuff. I love this is what I mean when I said well, I make movies for myself because. For me, that's almost like a schematic to my life. So when I look at those things, I find even some of the objects, they all have a reference to myself or a reference to something that I remember. Um, And that I put that into the character because that creates a sort of level of authenticity to the person. Um, At least that's how I kind of do it. Um, And that's what it is. And then, of course, she bathes in nature, if you like, because once, once she gets out of the house, which is she's weighed down by the problems in her life, problems of her past, the, um, you know, the story that's coming, coming to life in her world. The moment she gets out, we start shooting wide. We start shooting. Everything is the scale of everything becomes very big. Yes. Um, because the thing is, is the contrast of light and dark. We overly shot at dark in the house and sometimes not always to the best advantages because some of the, some of the lighting is a little, is a little bit uh, gritty. But the but the idea was once we went outside, everything just seemed lush. I mean, it was as lush as we could make it in the middle of November, December in Ireland. But the, you know, those big beach scenes, it created this almost like Terence Malick effect, you know, to contrast these very dark, grimy interiors. Um, and I love that because it, so much of her piece comes from being walking through the woodlands, which again goes back into the even the metal 
uh, concept of, of that uh, obsession with being in the forest. Yeah. And so much of that, it does, we try to achieve visually with all the outdoor scenes. And all of that, those outdoors, apart from the beach, was shot on my nature reserve. So I was going to ask that as well. How You was talking before about how you need, as an independent filmmaker, you have to be resourceful. So how much of shooting of the outside scenes is on your um, reserve? So I would say the whole film, about 65% was shot in, the, in my place. So the house uh, is one of my houses. Um, I, I run a small real estate business as well, which is how I pay the bills. Um, so we, we that house and... Um, all the forest stuff, all the open field stuff. Uh, in fact, the factory was was my farmyard that we converted. We spent weeks changing that place to look good like that. Um, all the uh, all the trap doors and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, no, most would say sixty five percent. And the only thing that wasn't mine was the beach mm. and the the graveyard and the uh, and some of the garage stuff. You know, I gotta. I always ask these questions of, of independent uh, filmmakers, especially since a lot of times these productions can take years. And I know, in regards to the filming of the Green Sea, you had to film through, you know, a pandemic as well, and there was a lot of struggles behind the scenes and such. Now that the movie is out there, people are watching it, especially um, now out in the US and in the UK and in Ireland. What feelings do you have now that your film is out there for people to watch? Um, have you do you, have you seen the film yourself? Um, uh, and having watched the film back, how do you feel watching it? Um, because I can say on, on my behalf that having watched it a couple of nights ago, um, you really knocked it out the park. Oh, thank you very much. So I'll tell you I'll tell you a little bit of story about this, right? So there was the script. You know, I wrote a script. It was a very different style of script. I show, I had a very very difficult production, which. We didn't shoot days. We lost a lot of days due to the weather, due to everything. Um, the editing was very difficult because my original editor, Chris Gill, who cut 28 days later, left movie contract ran out. And he left me with a three-hour movie. Hmm. And we didn't, I didn't know what to do. So I had to recut the movie after that. And I got it down to what it is now today, one hour 40. Um then of course we had we had our the post production firm that was originally supposed to do the the rest of the finishing of the film collapsed in the middle of the production so they went bankrupt so I had to finish the film at home, um, and then you know I kind of got used to to the idea of it being a sort of a broken film, and you know we didn't get lucky with the festivals they seemed to nobody championed the film, it's only when we released and you know I was expecting us to be absolutely massacred. Uh, because you know it is a very different kind of film. It's it's not easily paid. It's not it's not a you know it's a bit of a weird one. It's a bit of a blend of genres, and you know it's sort of the kiss of death, really, when you do films like that. Because there is you know people like putting things in boxes, and it's not an e a, a film that you can easily put in a box. Yes. Um, so and because of that, I was very insecure about it, and I had to and because so when we had so many rejections initially. I sort of got used to the idea and sort of said, well, you know, in the end, I made something that I felt was the best of my abilities at the time, considering what I had. And it's only now that it's gone out to the audience where it had a very different attitude. Um, and, you know, it's it's very, for me, as, a, as someone who suffered, I mean, a lot of people died on this film as well. Like we've had four people who were involved with the film who died, mm -hmm. never got to see the movie made. Um, to have all that on your back, 
and the pressure of, you know, you, you need to make something that, that was worthwhile for all this pain and suffering that a lot of people went through. Um, and to suddenly see, you know, we're finding people who are enjoying the movie, who identify with the movie. I'm starting to get people messaging me saying, you know, I really identified with the subject matter. I used to be like that. You know, there was one girl who, who wrote to me and she said that, you know, it's her favorite film, which I thought was, you know, pretty crazy. But but she said she's her favorite film of the year. And because she really resonated with Simone. And for me, that's that's beautiful for me, because, I mean, you know, there isn't any money in this. There is no um, there's no even guarantee that I'll ever work again, you know, to be honest with you, because when films go out, they, they get torrented. It's very hard for you to prove to anybody else that they give you a chance. Mm. And so when to know that people have been watched it, enjoyed it, got something from it, maybe even will think about it later. I mean, that's really what it is. That's the best you can really get for me. And I've learned to love this film again. If anything, I, I absolutely love the movie now because although I went through the love-hate relationship, I look back at it now and I said, you know what? There, there is there is a pure something in there. It's not perfect, but it has it has a bit of humanity. It, it is something that I enjoyed and got over. And when I look back at it, I sort of look at it like one of those uh, relationships that had some ups and downs. But you know what? You have nothing but fond memories. Well, for everyone out there listening, The Green Sea, out now, video on demand and digital platforms in the UK and Ireland, also out in North America, such as the US and Canada, highly recommend people check this film out. The great Catherine Isabel stars in one of the best performances. And Randall Plunkett, you did such a great work here. Um, this, uh, you know, I didn't know what to expect when I watched this film and uh, I took, I came, came away watching and I, I left a film that was really haunted me and in a good way. Um, and I just want to say congratulations to you. Um, congratulations to your cast and crew. And hopefully you do make more films. And, and when that day comes again, I'd love to talk to you about your future films. I would love to be back.